And we're in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We're studying through the book of James. Written by James the Just, the half-brother of Jesus. He was also a a church leader in the church in Jerusalem. And uh, there's a lot he has to say to us this morning. James chapter 4. Would you please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, and then we'll sit for the word of the teacher. James is speaking to the church, which is us. In verse 13, where we pick up where we left off last week, verse 13 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the study of his word. Lord, that verse seems so subjective. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Lord, I I know that many folks, even that word sin, they detest it. It's so overused in many communities, and and it's a a word that we, we just struggle with in this culture, in this day, in this age. But Lord, we know sin is just simply missing the mark. Sin is falling short of perfection, and and we've all done that. We don't like to be called sinners. We like to think of ourselves in more noble terms, but the reality is there's none perfect, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. And Lord, we, we know right and wrong. We have convictions. We struggle. That's why we have jails. That's why we have laws. That's why we try to govern. And Lord, we want to know what is good, and then we want to be able to do it. But if we know what is good and we don't do it, we're blowing it. And so, Lord, by this verse and through these passages, I pray that you'd minister to every heart present. I ask your blessing upon the study of your word. Minister to us now, Lord, we pray and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. I look at this passage of Scripture and it brought me great comfort as I was preparing this message for today. Uh, a lot of you know that on Thursday, um, went to Irvine, California to the studios for the Hugh Hewitt show. And we had the opportunity to be interviewed, uh, myself and our attorney, Rick Kateman for the lawsuit. And some of you may or may not know this. We, we own a school, a preschool and elementary school, private Christian school here in town. It's called Little Oaks Christian School. And we're being, uh, we were, being threatened to be sued by two teachers, and they wanted $150,000 each because we'd required a pastoral reference and a statement of faith, and they refused to sign either or provide either, and so they didn't renew their contract. They weren't fired. They just decided not to renew their contract, and then based on the Fair Employment and Housing Act of California, they threatened a lawsuit, and they wanted $150,000 each, and we refused to do that, and, um, and so they were going to sue us. We didn't want to go in the state courts because we knew ultimately this would end up in the federal courts. So we preempted them and sued them in violation of our civil rights and put it right into the federal courts. And it's almost a story of uh, man bites dog kind of thing. 
And, um, and so the papers picked it up. It got picked up by the AP. Fox News has been covering it. And uh, it's picking up traction. Some of you may have seen it in the Ventura County Star or the Acorn. It was in the Daily News and a number of other things. A Blaze picked it up. Uh, and it's been all over the country. And then this interview occurred on Thursday. And, um, and f- from that interview, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, um, the ADF, and a number of donors uh, outside of our fellowship, outside of our city, have um, co- connected with our website. And we've received to date about $5,000 uh, for our defense fund which is a great blessing because it's going to be probably about $30,000 just in the federal level, and, um, and we're undertaking this. Now, that being said, um, we've owned the school for four years. We have made zero in profit, and we're a for-profit company. That's where all the hullabaloo comes from. We've made zero. Um, I would actually say that we have lost probably $500,000 in investments uh, to upgrade the school, et cetera. But we've seen over 40 kids come to Christ. Put a price tag on that one. And, and my feeling is we didn't enter into this to make money. Anyone who thinks we did doesn't understand or doesn't know or is misinformed. And in addition, owning a school is a real headache. No, I'm serious. It is a headache. You know, everybody's child's perfect, Right? And, and you're, when you're dealing with parents, where your treasure is, your heart is also, and their heart is invested in the school. And, and I know as a parent that, that I'm, I'm the toughest critic. And being in the business of owning a school is probably one of the hardest businesses there is. It's really difficult. And, and um, I mean, you're holding the treasure uh, for, the, for the entirety of the day of, of these, these families. And they want to make sure that everything's fine. And they're concerned with every detail. And I don't blame them. It's a difficult industry to be a part of. And I got to tell you, I don't need the headache. I got five kids. I don't need it. And in addition, there's a congregation with, you know, close to 450, last week 470, about 500 some days. And there's a lot of needs in the fellowship. And quite frankly, if we didn't buy the school, we'd be in a building we own. Kids are expensive. And as we've undertaken this, I look back and I think, why? Because the Lord wills. He said to do it. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You remove God from the equation as we did in 1954 in the public schools. You watch as the SAT scores drop, teen pregnancy rises, drug addiction rises. You just look at 1954 and you look at the social barometers and you will see the, the misery that we have perpetrated on our youth as a result of removing God from the schools. Some of you go, I don't believe it. You look. You do your homework. It's not a game. Why are we on this earth? James looks at the church and he speaks to the church and he says to them, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there. Buy, sell, make a profit. School's not for profit. You don't buy and sell. It's not about your wealth. It's not about your comfort. It's not about your accumulation. It's not about your speculation. And it's not about your preservation. The scripture says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. Who keeps your heart beating when you sleep at night and your lungs moving? It's the Lord. He holds all things together by the word of his power. James says, what is your life? What is it? What is your life? Is the accumulation of your wealth? Is it your identity and your position or your passions or your possessions? Who are you? Why are you here? Why am I here? 
James even says, your life is a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes. The year of your birth, the year of your death on a tombstone, in between, a dash. And that's life. It is a dash. Billions have gone before you and billions will come after you. You and I are gnats on the butt of an elephant. We are dust in the intensity of the cosmic realm. We are nothing. And yet, we walk through life with our chest out, our head up, our nose blocking the sun for others to see. We shake our fist at God. He owes me answers. We're angry. How can a loving God do something like that? You don't even know Him. I'll tell you a loving God. A loving God allows a sinner who has committed cosmic treason to still exist because he's waiting for sinners to come to repentance. And he allows sin to exist and it, and it, it, it permeates the world and creates death and, and destruction and, and deformity so that we can come to repentance. We shake our fist at him. We ignore him. We, we strive for profit. We strive to buy. We strive to sell. We think that's what life is. It's our next vacation. I'll spend a year here. I'll spend a year there. Your life is a dash. It is a vapor. What is your life? Scripture says you're on this earth for one reason, to bring glory to God. You operate outside that context. Life is a vapor. You are chaff that the wind blows away. You will stand before God and give an accounting of that dash, of that vapor. And you're going you're gonna to shake your fist at him, the God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand? You, that occupies a, a speck on a, on a minuscule planet in the vastness of his universe, you are going to shake your fist at him and tell him he owes you answers? As you are the only creature in all of his creation to commit cosmic treason, you who have been created to love, reject the one who's created you? You, the one who's committed adultery and idolatry? You? Me? We're going to shake our fist at him? I don't think so. I don't think so. What is your life? It is but a vapor. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about your comfort. It's not about my comfort. It's not about our wealth. It's not about our travels. It's not about your profit. It's not about our profit. It's about what does God want. That's it. You see, James says, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. What does God want? And if you're not reading his word, how do you know what he wants? Well, I've got my get out of hell free card. I raised my hand in a Billy Graham sermon. I remember I came forward. I had to come and I walked and I came and, and I remember I prayed that sinner's prayer with a man. Have you ever opened your Bible? I can't remember. I don't read it all that often. I mean, you know, if I need something, I'll just do the... Oh, okay. Lord wills. It's ridiculous. Grow up. It's not about putting your Christianity in a compartment. I do this on Sunday. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, I give my life to you, God. What do you will for me? I surrender all. If the Lord wills, 
then I will go there. If the Lord wills, I will do this. What does God want? And then we say, well, you boast in your arrogance. I don't need this. Who are you to tell me what I'm supposed to do? I got this Christianity thing down. I'm a moral person. I go to church. I do the Christian thing. All boasting, all such boasting, the Scripture says, is evil. You're not an instrument of righteousness. You're not being used of God. You, you, you cover yourself in a shell or a facade of Christianity, but a believer is one whose heart is wholly surrendered to God. What do you want from my life that I've given to you? What do you want, God? I'm all in. I didn't sign up for that kind of Christianity, Pastor. That's a little tough there. I didn't either. And the more I get in it, the more I realize he wants all of it. I don't want to be a headmaster of a school that's in a lawsuit. I don't want my kids under attack in the midst of all this. And it has been a tough road. And it's going to get tougher. But James says in verse 17, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. I got to that passage and I thought, wait a minute. Are you telling me that sin is subjective? Somewhat. Somewhat. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Sin is subjective? I mean, I get to write the rules? Yes and no. You see, Paul wrote in Romans 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet. We got the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. We read those, we're like, oh, guilty. And then Jesus expands on them. He says, you've heard that said, not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you look on a woman with lust in your eyes, you committed adultery. <laughs> Zipper. <laughs> you've heard that thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, whoever says to his brother Raka or fool is guilty of the fires of hell. <laughs> fool? <laughs> We're all guilty. We wouldn't know. We wouldn't know. What sin was except through the law. I mean, is, 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 is law bad? Is law sinful? No. The law is not sinful. The law is there to show us that we are sinful. Eh, driving along. You do a U-turn. Woo! You get pulled over. You know why I pulled you over? I thought maybe you did. <laughs> is this a like test or something? He just he did an illegal U-turn. I didn't want to do a U-turn. I got in the turn lane, and the sign said, No, you turn. <laughs> I didn't want to. I did. Now, why are you pulling me over? How could that be illegal? He said, No, Rob, no. You, you, you turn. 
And uh, I argued that with him. And uh, I was able to make one phone call. No. No, the idea is you get pulled over and there's a sin of commission and omission and all those others. I, I didn't know, officer. Does he go, oh, my bad. You know, just go on. <laughs> yeah, like that happens in California. It's like, it's, it's like an extra tax. <laughs> oh, you rolled through that stop. Rolled? Like roll? I, there, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. There's not a car in sight. What do you mean I rolled? I looked everywhere. Nobody. <laughs> okay, I rolled. <laughs> it's not like anybody was in danger. And these are all theoretical. I didn't do all these, all right? <laughs> and and you, you, wait a minute. You're guilty. You're guilty. You get a ticket. Now, let's think about that for a minute. You get a ticket. Is the law bad? No. I'm thankful for four-way stops. I'm thankful for traffic laws and, and, and stoplights. We'd all be dead otherwise. Our cars would be dinged up. We'd be living in some third world country. And I've been to those countries. There's no, you, you just, uh, it's a horn. That's the only thing you have. There's no stop signs. <laughs> cars right next to you, death every moment. But we have those laws because they're good, because they protect. Same with U-turns. Obviously, they put a sign there because they, they, they've had accidents in that area. Now, the law's not bad, but I've broken the law, and I'm guilty of it. Now, I know it's there, and, and, and if I know that and I still do it, I know what to do. I don't do it to him. That is sin. Now, there, there, it is subjective. It is subjective. I mean, I, I was thinking when I, when I really gave my heart to the Lord, and I was all in, in a sense, uh, at Fresno State University, uh, I had a roommate, and his name was John, and, and John was a metalhead, and he was kind of, you know, he's into like stoner music and stuff, and he had all these LPs, and for the younger kids, that's a, like a CD, but it was bigger, <laughs> uh, long play album, anyways, so as we had these, he had a whole bunch of metal, you know, and, and we, we really just, you know, dug into the Lord, and we wanted to seek the Lord, and he had all these things, and, and uh, he was a, a pot smoker, he was, you know, just, he's, he had a bong and the whole bit, and, and he had a big bag of marijuana, he sold it, and gave the money to the church. <laughs> Some of you are going, well, that is ridiculous. For God's sakes, what, what? How in God's name could somebody sell drugs and give that to the church? That is evil money. He was so excited. It was his first offering to the Lord. He should have flushed it down the toilet, brother. Whatever. I'm telling you, in his heart, he, God was looking at the intention of his heart, and he was all in. He came to realize later, oh, what have I done? And then he did, with his albums, he chucked all those and broke them. He didn't sell them at the garage sale. Zum, 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 zum. He just chucked all those. I remember one time when I was single and, and I was uh, in a, a business partnership with uh, an assistant DA in San Bernardino County, Max, and we were building this dilapidated house and fixing it up. We were going to sell it and make a profit. 
And we had done everything we could do, but we got down to the electrical stuff. We couldn't finish the electrical stuff, and we were out of money. And so we were, you know, we, we would meet every morning before he'd go off to work, and I'd go off to work. We'd meet at the Bob's Big Boy down from our house, and we lived in kind of the seedy part of, of Redlands. And we met at the Bob's Big Boy, and we'd sit at the coffee counter, and we would pray every morning before we went to work. Two single guys praying, asking the Lord to bless. And we were praying for an electrician. We're kind of huddled by our coffee, and we're praying because we don't want people to hear. And it's, it's crowded that morning. We're just praying, Lord... Uh, we just ask you to send us an electrician, and we're going through that prayer. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm getting pushed like this, and I turn, and there's this guy just stinks, and the smell was awful. He had big beard and food in it, and his fingers were yellow with nicotine stains, and he'd been smoking those filterless camels all the way down to the nubs, and his fingers were black. And, and, and he, he looks at me and goes, I'm an electrician. Your prayer's been answered. <laughs> well, why don't you give us your business card? I don't got one. Where, where do you live? Well, I live in my VW Bug. Big guy, too. I'm like, you live in a Bug? Okay. His name was Bill. We hired him for, for food and room. And, uh, and when we get some money, we gave it to him. And I was witnessing to him the whole time, sharing the Lord with him. I was getting ready to transition from Helene Curtis to Cheeseboro Ponds, and I was going to be moving back to Fresno, and I was in Redlands at the time. We are finishing up the house. I'm sharing the Lord with him, sharing the Lord with him. And he's thick-headed. He even left for a couple days, you know, and thought about committing suicide, came back, you know, was really moved by our love, and he went to church with us, but just immovable. He he wouldn't give his heart to the Lord. So um, we end up... up, um, he helps me move to Fresno, and uh, he's driving the, the rig, and we get there, and we unload all the stuff, and that night, I take him to church, and he says he'll go, and we go to church, and Pastor Randy Brannon, a real good guy, he's preaching the gospel, and gives an altar call, and nobody goes forward, and go, come on, Bill, go, Bill, go, baby, go, nothing, just didn't even move, and, um, and so we get home that night, and my friend and I are praying, and we go, Bill, we're going to close the night in prayer. And he goes, I'll join you. And we're like, ooh, okay. And Bill comes over and he sits down. And what do we hold hands or something? What do we do? <laughs> uh, sure, we can hold hands. You know, that's, that's something I guess we could do. Awkward. And so we're <laughs> holding hands. And, and uh, you know, I pray and my friend prays and kind of an uncomfortable silence. We go, well, amen. Bill goes, eh, I'm not done. I want to pray. Okay, Bill, why don't you pray? <laughs> okay. He starts shaking like a weeping. Big giant of a man. Weeping like a little baby. He just begins to weep. In his prayer. Lord, you know all that I've done and how I've my life. Those are all cuss words. <laughs> And I am a, <laughs> and every third word, cuss word, cuss word, cuss word, weeping like a little baby. He gave his heart to the Lord right there. So you go, what are the Christian doing cussing? Shut up. <laughs> Serious. I mean, just zip it. God heard every word. 
He became the director of the Madeira Rescue Mission. I mean, it's, what God did in that man's life is nothing short of, it, it was miraculous. Absolutely miraculous. God heard every word. Do you think Bill cusses today? No. No. He knows better. God takes us with what we know. And the law brings us to a place of freedom because we're not under the law of sin and death. We've been set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. But that conviction of sin, we say, God, help me, and he does. The law is good. It protects us. God gave us the law to protect us. We shouldn't murder. I mean, you look at demography, demographics. Here we are in a culture that is pro-death, and we've killed 50 million babies. We have a birth rate that's below 2.0. We're actually at 1.87. We are at a place where we're not even in a replacement mode. We are going to just disintegrate as a culture. Nobody's having babies. In Italy, it's 1.4, which means that for every 80 people that are in retirement, there's there's 30 people that are going to be taking care of them. Social security is not going to work just because we're not having babies. God said, be fruitful and multiply. We kill them all. Because this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. And this is a vacation I want to take. And God says, you know better. That's not my will for you. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full. Before you were born, I knew you. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in your mother's womb. Children are not to be killed. They're to be cared for. And even if they have deformities, you love them. It doesn't matter the package they come in. You love them. They're a human being. There's nothing else they can be in the womb. They're not a blob of tissue. They're babies. And we know that. And God says, you know that. And he who knows what to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. And I say that because we struggle in our culture. We struggle in doing what is right. The Apostle Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. I can do anything I want. Paul actually wrote in the earlier portion of 1 Corinthians, I just quote out of 1 Corinthians 10. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 8, he did this whole story, you can read it later, I'm just going to give you a Reader's Digest version. He says in verses 1 through 13 of 1 Corinthians 8, and you can write it down, take a look at it later. He says, look, if, if you're eating food that was sacrificed to idols, you can do that. God, God doesn't commend himself to the food you eat. He's not impressed. Oh, I don't eat pork. He doesn't care anymore. Some of your Messianic Jews are going, oh, yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Let's just move on. I can't move on. We'll talk later. See how we're having this conversation? You're not even speaking. He says, food sacrificed to idols. You're, you're welcome to it. But if it causes another brother to stumble, don't do it. He says, it's like this. In, in, in his day and age, let's say you wanted to do uh, you know, a barbecue after services at your house. And let's say it's a football Sunday and you want to do a barbecue. And so you go down to the Albertsons or you go to the Vons or you, you, you go down to, you know, Ralph's and you go in to buy the meat and, and, uh, the roast is like 14 bucks a pound. You're like, what? It's ridiculous. But down here at, uh, the Dagon or the Baal worship center, they've sacrificed 
meat to Dagon and to Baal, similar to like when you go into a Chinese restaurant and you see the Buddha up there, the Buddha, and he's, he's a brass Buddha and he's sitting there just like peaceful and there's a bowl of oranges in front of him. I've never seen him eat one. Anybody? I've never even seen peels around the Buddha. He just... And they, the, the oranges rot, they take them down, put fresh ones up. And Buddha, I don't know how he gets so fat, but he just, he doesn't eat. It just, they stay up there. He's like, I don't like oranges. I'm not sure. It's the same thing with Dagon and Baal. They don't eat the meat. They sacrifice, they offer it to Dagon. Dagon's like, and they go, what do we do with all this meat? Well, let's sell it. And so they sell it in the market. And, and you're paying 14 bucks at Ralph's and you go over here to the Dagon, you know, idle meat market and it's three bucks a pound. You're like, cha-ching, and it's all marbled and nice and you bring it home, you cook it up. People are like, oh, oh this is the best meat I've ever had. It's delicious. You know where he got it? No, I have no idea where he got it. It's just awesome. He says, he got it the Dagon worship. What? I worship there. I struggle with that. I can't eat that. I swore that off. That had me in bondage for the majority of my life. I can't do that. You know what I'm going to do next week if I'm doing a barbecue and that brother's coming? I'm going to Ralph's. I'm paying 14 bucks a pound. What does that mean? That means that we're going through the, the shopping center and over at Albertsons on Reno Road where I shop. And I'll be going down the aisle and I'll see you coming down the aisle. Hey, Pastor, hi. And like you always do, you look in my cart. And I only noticed you because I've just finished looking in yours. <laughs> now, let's say you do have Bud Light in your cart, right? You're not going to hell. Bible says, be not drunk of wine, but of the Holy Spirit. You know, Paul told Timothy to take wine. Yeah, you can have wine. You can drink. You know, it's fermented. God made it. It's all good. You're not allowed to be drunk by it. You're not allowed to be bastard by it. Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Does this edify? You know why I don't drink as a pastor? And I can count on one hand in the last five years, maybe two hands, the times I've had an alcoholic drink. All you need to do is one funeral for a teenager who died drunk while driving. That's all you need. And the times that I've taken alcohol, I've been in Europe with my wife, far away from all of you. (laughs) In an obscure town that you don't know the name of. Or it's been an opportunity for ministry. Ministry? Yes, ministry. Ministry? Yes, ministry. All things are lawful, not all things edify. It was an edification. I remember one time being in a sushi restaurant where the, the owner of the sushi restaurant knew that I was a pastor of church, and he was riding me, he put the sake in front of me, and he, he goes, eh, pastor won't drink, and everybody around the sushi bar is laughing. I go, I'll tell you what, I'll drink it if you come to church on Sunday. And I went, let's do it, come on. Some of you are going, oh, that's just awful, pastor, that's awful. 
The idea is, the idea is, God is saying that sin in this sense is subjective. I know what is necessary. I don't want to stumble you. That's why I don't drink in front of you. I know some of you guys come out of those homes. And my life is an offering. What does God want from me? I want to give that to you. Now, that being said, limited on time, I want to close this message by saying this. In the passage that we've read this morning out of James chapter 4, the part that I wanted to emphasize in relation to what I'm about to have you listen to, and we're going to be a little short on time, but that's okay. It says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. To him it is sin. This is not fun. I do not enjoy being in a lawsuit. I don't like being scrutinized. I don't like any of it. I don't. I don't like the cost involved in it. I don't like the time that it takes. And life would be a lot easier without this headache. Ran into a couple. They texted me, wanted to have... Uh, dinner. I saw that. I was really excited about having dinner. And I kid you not, within 15 minutes, their text went <laughs> right to the bottom from everyone else going. <laughs> it's, it makes life busy. There's a lot of needs. This doesn't help. And I got to tell you this. You know why we're doing it? Because it's the right thing to do. I want you to listen if you weren't in, involved or you didn't hear the, the broadcast. This is the last segment of a three-part segment on the Hugh Hewitt Show. It went national. And Hugh Hewitt gave us some time. It's Rick Kademan, our attorney, myself, and Hugh Hewitt going over this lawsuit. I want you to hear this part because it's for you. This congregation gets it. You get it. I haven't received one complaint, one email, one text, one conversation from anyone in this congregation about you being dissatisfied with what we're undertaking. You know this is right. And I just want to tell you thank you. And so listen to it and I'll finish the sermon. Let this be a holy moment now. Let this be a holy 44 minutes after the hour market, Hugh Hewitt uh, talking about a religious liberty contest out in Southern California, not far from Los Angeles. If you head west from L.A. by about oh, 20 miles, you'll be in Thousand Oaks. And out there, you'll pass along your way. Thousand Oaks Christian, which is one of the greatest Christian high schools and junior highs in America. And eventually, you'll show up at the uh, Godspeed, at Ch- Cal- Godspeed Calvary Chapel School. What, what do you call it? by the way, Pastor. Called Little Oaks Christian School because that's the name it's had for over 30 years. We just kept it. Little Oaks Christian School and it is now in the sights of a couple of teachers who did not want to sign a statement of faith and they're suing under California state law defending the church and the school is Rick Kadelman, Kadelman, uh who is the founder of Civil Liberties Advocacy Coalition, www.theclac.org. Rick, when we went to break, we were talking about the fact that not-for-profit, for-profit, this just doesn't make a lot of difference in the world of the First Amendment. It, it 
does not at all. There is not there's no case that I'm aware of that says that there are there is any right of free exercise that is dependent upon how you are formed. Exactly. That's why even though a lot of people don't like the not for profit status extended to churches because they say that violates the free the establishment clause. I've never heard of this case. I've never heard of someone objecting to someone not taking the not for profit status. Well, at least in the context of California, even this case didn't exist before 2000 because the California legislature changed the Fair Employment and Housing Act that year in response to a California Supreme Court decision the prior year, which said under the Fair Employment and Housing Act, you do not have to organize in any particular way. And in that particular case, they were dealing with a non-religious hospital owned by a church. It was the case of McKeon versus Mercy Healthcare Sacramento. And in that case, the Supreme Court made it very clear that that non that that any religious organization, even one owned by a religious organization, such as a hospital, can hire and fire their employees based on religious affiliation. And the California legislature said, oh, no, we're going to put a stop to that. Okay, I, mean, I think probably the test comes down to are you sincerely religious? Now, how let's help the courts out here. How do you figure that out? Well, it, One of the ways and the way they did it in Hosanna Tabor is to look at the actual job functions that the teachers performed. And were they, in fact, a legitimate messenger of the faith values of the entity they work for? And the answer to that question is yes, in this case. Now, let me ask you, Pastor. I'm talking with Pastor Rob McCoy of uh, Godspeed. Godspeak. I wrote it down. It's my own handwriting. Godspeak, Calvary (laughs) Chapel in Thousand Oaks. Would you object to a, a broad protection be extended to, you know, goofball, single-person churches and, and things like that? Or is, are you all in favor of everyone enjoying free exercise uh, rights robustly? Yes. The idea is you vote with your feet. And, and some knucklehead that's opening up some strange church, people aren't going to stick around there. Uh, religious freedom is that, that desire to pursue truth. And that's why our founding fathers gave it to us. And so, and, and what's the reaction among? Uh, how big is the congregation, by the way, at uh, Godspeak? Our congregation is probably about four fifty, five hundred. Okay, and so anyone come up to you and say, "Come on, Pastor, we don't need to do this." No, we have a great congregation. Not one, not a single one. Huh? They've been they've been with me for twelve years. They know this is what I'm about. I, you know, I'm going to stoke the fires. I. It's one of these things where I know that we have a chance to lose the school. We have a chance to lose the church. And I've put that before the congregation. Nobody's left. To the contrary, people have come. You know, I'm looking at this. And and when when the church has started, the idea is like with a business, there's speculation. And then you come to accumulation and then it's preservation. And the church is at a place where we're managing its decline. Enough of that. We've got to push the gates of hell back. And and we've got to exercise these freedoms that our founding fathers gave us. Some people aren't going to like it. They're not going to be up for the fight. But this congregation, they're ready to roll. If these uh, would-be plaintiffs, the people who've threatened to see you, came in and said, hey, just give us five grand each, we'll go away, would you do it? No. There's just, it's this is a matter of principle. It's a matter of principle. I, you know, we're, we're at a place where an unnamed insurance company that, that does our liability has sent us a letter saying, we're going to hang you in the wind, you don't get any backing. That's fine with me. My feeling is, you know, success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. And, and if they want to treat us like, you know... Uh, we're not a part of the family because they want to manage liability. I, I ask the churches out there that have insurance companies that want to manage liability. We're managing the decline. We have got to defend religious liberties and push this back. This is something that we cannot tolerate any longer in this country, period. Uh, Rick, have other people not in the church come to the defense of the church through the civil That's good. Limited on time.
So, we know what is right, and we're going to do it. And these children need to know that there's a God who loves them. I get you guys for one hour every week, 52 weeks a year, that's 52 hours of your life. For a child in our school, the equivalent of one year of education is 20 years of sermons. That's the, that's, that's the transformation we can make in our community. This is worth the fight. And I wanted to take time to tell you guys thank you. Let's, let's uh, thank the Lord. Let's go to prayer. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for the blessing that you've given us in your word. And your word is true. And Lord, this morning we're here to just tell you how grateful we are that you've been faithful to hear us when we've called out to you. And Lord, we, we know what is good and we want to do it. And Lord, you have backed us and you've covered us and you've blessed us. And, and if the Lord wills, and Lord, this is what you've willed. You long that we would raise the children in the love and the admonition of the Lord. That's your will. And so God, we'll do that. And so we thank you that you've met our needs in the riches of Christ. Thank you for those faithful across the country who have supported financially this cause. But Lord, thank you for this congregation. Thank you, God, for their faithfulness. And I just pray your blessing upon them as we know the enemy is going to try to attack, but greater is he who's in us and he who's in the world. So Lord, we praise you this day and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and close with a song of worship. Bless you guys. Hope to see you tonight.